Welcome to Talk of the Towns. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works and to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns has aired on WERU Community Radio since 1993, dedicated to the proposition that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. We are your hosts, Ron Beard and Liz Graves. Open you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. And just a reminder that during the pandemic, uh, we're not, we're just recording this program in advance and won't be taking any calls today. Well, in 1789, evidently, Ben Franklin wrote to a correspondent, our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. So we're going to talk about the second of those certainties on our program um, this morning. We're glad to have some folks um, from um, uh, Camden, uh, several towns in the, in the Down East area where Mark Perry is is. Uh, with Down East Assessing Services. Caitlin Thompson is with us from, she's the deputy assessor from Camden. And Stu Marcoon. And Stu, you're the administrative assistant to the Board of Selectmen in the I town of I can be Lugoy. the road commissioner if you'd like. Okay. So you're, you're, you play many roles, but you can help us understand how Lemoyne deals with, with uh, um, property taxes. Uh, perhaps we could start with you, Stu. Just um, tell us how you got into this work and, and uh, what um, kind of background have you, are you bringing to um, the, the work of assessing and, and property taxes? Okay, Ron. Well, uh, I, you know, got legit after 40 years in radio. Uh, actually, I've been playing a dual role. I, I worked in the radio business for about 40 years, but uh, for the last 30, I've also been the administrative assistant here in Lemoyne. Uh, my role in assessing property taxes is pretty minimal. I, it's computer input and, and assisting with paperwork with our board of assessors. Uh, Mark is one of my residents, actually. I help them generate the tax commitment and uh, send out the tax bills, and then uh, the staff and I collect them. Great. Caitlin, talk a little bit about yourself and how you got into um, the world of public administration with with the town of Camden and and your background in assessing. Yeah. Um, So I've been in Camden for seven years. Um, Before that, I worked in the town of North Yarmouth as like a tax collector assistant. Um, And before that, I was a college student. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm kind of young and new at this. Um, But my mom is actually the town manager on Islesboro. And that's where I would spend some of my summer days helping do random things. And one of them ended up being helping the assessor sketch buildings on his trio system so and kind of the rest is history great so you you came to it um kind of a family connection and and uh, almost by osmosis you've learned a lot well mark tell us a little bit about um down east assessing services um you um do assessing for a number of towns yeah i've uh i've been a realtor for since 2001 and was doing real estate and then uh, became the deputy assessor in Bar Harbor back in 07-ish and did that and was the deputy assessor assessor in Bar Harbor for seven or eight years. And then in the past four years, I uh, started my own uh, assessing company, Down East Assessing Services. And I currently do six towns, uh, Orono being my largest town. And then Down East, I do Columbia, 
Columbia Falls, Cherryfield, Addison, and Jonesport down east on their assessor down there. So, and did Mark, did you have um, any kind of formal training um, in the assessing world? No, not really. Um, I mean, being a being in a being a realtor helps um, sort of understand property value. I think that's sort of the biggest component is knowing what things are worth, uh, what they're going to sell for. So I had that background. Um, and then being the deputy assessor in Bar Harbor for many, many years sort of taught me the ropes, sort of assessing. Um, and now I've been able to take that to now down east, which is kind of a different different deal, but but good. The principles are the same. The complexities shift, um, I suppose, over yeah, towns. Yeah. Every town has its personality. I, you know, I try to keep things objective um, as much as you can, but you know, every town has their personality. Can anybody give us any kind of history of, of property taxes? Um, have we always been paying property taxes in colonial days? I suppose going back to England, um, you know, it was mm-hmm. the king who was collecting taxes. Um, Caitlin, do you have a, a sense of the history of property taxes? I mean, for Maine's assessments, we just absorbed what was Massachusetts when we separated. Um, and that was from England. So. Any other historical notes that you remember from um, picking up along the way? Anybody? I, I serve as a clerk in my day job, and I remember seeing that clerk and tax collector together are the, the two oldest municipal professions. That that's what's what's been around the longest. We don't have any tax collectors today, except Stu. That's sort of one of the hats that Stu wears. Is it? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I'm the deputy town clerk and the deputy tax collector. The yeah. tax collector and town clerk are <laughs> my boss. I'm her boss. It, it works out well, but uh, she's the same person. Uh, and it, it works that uh, our counter can serve, uh, you know, virtually anybody that comes in. Now, as a town clerk in Bar Harbor, uh, you'd have trouble collecting the property taxes, I suspect. <laughs> I would, that would not go well. So, so um, the town uses property taxes. It's probably their main, it is their main source of, of income. What are the other sources that uh, towns draw on um, as income? We know that we have lots of expenses at, at the town level. And with last program, we talked about roads. Um, I can take this one, Mr. Beard. <laughs> okay, great, Stu. Right, obviously, uh, property taxes are the largest uh, component of the revenue for our town. Uh, the second largest would be the excise tax, which uh, when you register your motor vehicle, check those stickers, folks, uh, this would, uh, the excise tax stays with the town to help fund whatever the town decides to use it for. Uh, we use it to offset property taxes, and it uh, remarkably is close to our road budget. Uh, then we also have a lot of state revenues, uh, the uh, EPS, Essential Programs and Services, that used to be the GPA, General Purpose aid for education is probably the largest state uh, income source. Uh, the homestead reimbursement, uh, which uh, if you claim a homestead in Maine and, and that comes off your property taxes, is a large component of our uh, income source as well. And then you've got uh, what they call agent fees. And uh, as Clerk Liz would be familiar with that in Bar Harbor as well, if you're selling a hunting and fishing license, uh, the town makes a whole dollar from that. Uh, <laughs> make three bucks on a car registration here. Uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit of income, but uh, the property tax and the excise tax, largest uh, components of revenues for our towns. Uh, would you say more about the homestead exemption? You said if you have a homestead in Maine, what does that mean? 
Okay. A homestead in Maine basically is that you own a house and you live in it and you declare that uh, this is my home community. You can apply to your town by before April 1st of the upcoming tax year and get a fairly sizable uh, reduction in your property tax assessment. The uh, state uh, sets it at 25000 this year. That has to be adjusted by what they call your uh, ratio, uh, which Mark can explain that because it's a mystery <laughs> to me. <laughs> uh, but uh, people in, in who have a homestead in Lemoyne get twenty two thousand five hundred off theirs because our assessment ratio is not a hundred percent. So yeah, if you're a homesteader in Maine, you live here. This is your home, and you own the house. You can get a pretty big reduction in your property tax bill. Anything to add to that, Mark? Yeah, I mean, it has to be your primary residence for um, at least a year as of April 1st. Um, so that's important. Some people, you know, buy a house in June and apply for the homestead exemption, but it has to be one year as of April 1st. Um, unless you've had a homestead in another town, then you can carry that over. You don't have to wait the year. Um, but yeah, it's um, 25000 and it's off of your total assessment. So if you're assessed for $100,000, you are taxed for $75,000. That's how that works. Um, and the amount of the reduction changes depending on what the mill rate for your town is. So the homestead can be more um, if your mill rate is higher, for example, um, from town to town. Yeah, it's not it, it's not twenty five thousand. It's great. Yeah. Well, um, so um, proper there's variety of properties in each of the towns, and um, we've we just talked about um, home properties. What are the other mix of properties that um, you get involved in in kind of determining the value of? Mark, can you can you start? Um, and yeah. then we'll go to the others. Yeah, it depends on the, the makeup of the town. Um, you know, some like in Orono, for example, is the largest town I work in that has, you know, a, a large commercial component. Um, you have industrial, vacant land, residential, shoreland, um, agricultural, that sort of thing. Down east, a lot of my towns, there's lots of blueberry land that's sort of its own kind of thing down east. But generally, it's residential or commercial. Um, or shorefront or non-shorefront. Those are sort of, or, uh, or developed or undeveloped, vacant land or, or houses. Those sort of the categories we, we deal with. Caitlin, what's it like in Camden? Um, what, what kinds of properties are you looking at? Primarily residential. Um, we, ha- we do have a downtown, like downtown Camden. Um, it's, it's not very wide, but we do have some commercial. Um, we have very, very minimal industrial um, but we do have a tiny bit of that. And then, um, like Mark said, the rest is probably in tree growth or open space or some protective easement by um, Coastal Mountain Land Trust. And Stu, in the town of Lemoyne, what, are, what uh, kinds of properties are you assessing? Well, primarily like, like Camden, uh, though we don't have a downtown, uh, it's residential. <laughs> uh, the shorefront uh, residential is assessed much higher than the uh, folks who do not have property that borders the ocean. Um, and uh, the sales mm-hmm. bear that out. Uh, we do have a little bit of industrial here, which is well hidden, which is uh, includes a boat building. And uh, then we have mm-hmm. gravel pits. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's probably a whole nother show's topic right there. <laughs> sure. <laughs> 
And so you've you've indicated that there are some um, open space uh, tree growth, perhaps blueberry or agricultural land, allow landowners some kind of differential. Um, can anybody give mm-hmm. us some background on that? You've, Caitlin, you mentioned Coastal Mountain Land Trust. Uh, the, the notion of a conservation easement um, may yeah. reduce the overall property tax. How does that work? Um, well, there's applications, and for open space, you have to choose your level of, I guess, participation. Um, and having, I think there's like five levels, um, and the most, um, I guess, participa- participatory is having or allowing public access to your property. So, um, like Forever Wild public access. Um, that's, so do you get a bigger break if you're allowing public access? Yeah. Okay. Yep, you do. I think it's 90, mostly 95%, percent but yeah. so it's pretty substantial. Mark, how does tree growth work? You have some towns that have tree growth um, taxation. Yeah. yeah. Tree growth is a state mandated program. Uh, the state establishes what the uh, tree growth values of land will be. Um, per acre, and that's in softwood, mixed wood, or hardwood. Um, They range anywhere from $120 an acre to $154 an acre, depending on the kind of wood. And where you are. Yeah, it it varies by county. Those rates will vary by county um, throughout the state. And then uh, you have to have at least 10 acres to participate uh, and a sort of a survey or a map from a forester saying where and what wood is on your program. And then a tree growth management plan on file that says, you know, um, for this, if you reduce my value, I will do this with my land. Um, that plan has to be renewed every 10 years to remain in the program. You know, what you do with your land, I mean, some people just say I'm growing trees and that's what they're doing. Um, some harvest pine cones and that's okay too. So just as long as they're adhering to some sort of plan, you know, they're not clear cutting, they're not doing things they're not supposed to do, then they can remain in the program and they get that reduction um, in valuation. Um, If they remove any of their land from the program, then there's a tree growth penalty um, program that assesses the difference between the tree growth value and their market value, and you pay the difference. And that goes down over time. It goes down to 20% if you've had it in the program for at least 10 years. So there's a there's a penalty phase for taking land out if you put it in. Um, so so all of this is based on um, an ability to evaluate the um, the price of the land. And so you're saying in tree growth and in some case conservation easement, that property is less valuable because it can't be sold um, in its present form as housing, I suppose, or for yeah, commercial it's development. Right. It's right. It's, it's, it's reduced for the restriction. That's the difference. Tree growth is a little, open space is a little more um, subjective. I mean, you can, you, you can change it, I suppose, over time, that sort of thing. Um, so they're a little bit different um, programs. And they also have different penalties for taking them in and out and things like that. Um, but yeah, it was generally, I mean, the tree, the history of the tree growth program was for the big, huge, massive, um, you know, companies, you know, um, that were harvesting trees. Um, so they would get a reduction on their taxes because they're obviously providing this wood and things to, you know, the people. 
So, you know, and they're, you're talking hundreds and thousands of acres. Um, so they get a break um, for, for doing that. It's kind of rolled over to the residential side to some degree. You know, if you have more than 10 acres and you, you want to put that in tree growth, you certainly can. I mean, if you have 11 acres, you can put 10 of them in tree growth as long as there's trees on them and things like that if you want. Um, but, uh, but that was that's sort of the impetus of the tree growth program or the big, big paper tree companies. Great. Well, I'll just remind our listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about property taxes and assessing in Maine towns. Um, You've just heard from Mark Perry, who does assessing for six towns under contract. His firm is called Downey's Assessing Services. Caitlin Thompson is with us. She's the deputy assessor in the town of Camden and Stu Marcoon, the town of Lemoyne. Liz, do you want to uh, take things forward? So we we just just started in on um, mentioning value, which is the, so I want to gently and broadly go into math. And I was wondering if Caitlin could get us started. Anyone who's bought a house is aware that there's, there's a list price for the house. And then there's another number that has some relationship to that number, which is the assessed value. And I believe there's some um, those two numbers cannot stray too far from each other as properties sell. It's a job of, a, of the assessors to keep them within, keep them so they're not too wildly divergent. Do I have that right? That's the goal. Um, currently, not always happening. Um, I don't know. It's hard. To, it's hard to uh, we. So we follow the market. We don't project it or lead it like. This year in Camden, we did have a reval, a statistical reval, um, and it's just looking at all of the sales in town and all the qualified sales. And um, I hate to say that even after doing the reval, I've been checking our sales and the new sales are still crushing our new ratios. What's a, um, what's a qualified sale? Um, just like an arm length transaction, like you don't know each other, but you've been looking around and there's no weird circumstances like foreclosure or somebody died or um, like you split the parcel or just something, something weird. Um, so it's just the most basic straight transaction. Um, yeah. So yeah, the, I mean, the goal is to keep within 10%, I guess, up or down, um, but it doesn't always happen. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it, it, arms like transactions, knowledgeable buyer, willing seller, listed for sale on the open market, that's sort of an arms length transaction. Um, but the um, like Galen said, the um, assessors are always chasing the market, right? You're, you're sort of always chasing. Um, and in, in general, most assessors don't really want to be in the assessed greater than what it's worth. Business, no. Right. You never, <laughs> you don't want to do that. So um, assessors are generally a little bit conservative in, in nature when, when possible. Um, and same thing in Orono. Orono just had a reval townwide reval last year um, and uh, reset the values and uh, again, same thing with Galen, been tracking the sales. Every sale that's come in since is still um, far greater than what even the assessed value was for the revaluation. So, um, and revals are a nature of, of the market as well. Like in a place like Bar Harbor, 
where mm-hmm. it's just always going up. I mean, they could probably feasibly do a revaluation every three, four years. Um, but in a place down east, you know, in, in Columbia, Columbia Falls or Addison, where, you know, not as much changes from year to year, then you can sort of get away with sort of not needing that sort of level of, of revaluation um, yeah. from, from year to year. Um, but yeah, the statutory requires assessors to be within 10% of market value or equitable distribution thereof. <laughs> so, and what that means is, is everything can be low and that's okay. And everything can be high yeah. and that's okay. As long as, as, long as it's yeah. consistent. So as long as you can say everybody's low, then, then it's fair. Um, yeah. and, and that's, that's when you have the summer high and summer low to an excessive extreme, um, that's when you sort of t- start talking about revaluation and, and resetting everything. Um, but assessors, you know, they do the best they can with the information they have. Um, and, and that's, that's their goal. Yeah. So when, when you, when you do a revaluation, you're looking at every property in the town. Is that correct? Yeah. There's different levels of revaluation. Like Kaylin mentioned a statistical revaluation. That's sort of where you're kind of um, number crunching and doing ratio studies and lots of. You're just not changing real data. You're kind of looking at the data you have. Yeah. You're kind of crunching numbers and things like that. And then there's sort of the boots on the ground, you know, full blown, you know, knock on every door, measure every building, um, all new photos, uh, get all new information and then sort of start over, not start over, but like reset. You know, um, and that just depends on either how long it's been since the last one or the quality of the information um, that the, the assessor or previous assessors have been able to maintain or not maintain over the years. So when Caitlin told the story about um, a, making a drawing to estimate if somebody had uh, built a garage or put on an addition on their house, that's a boots on the ground. The assessor went out to. Um, check out a, a change that was made to a property that's going to affect its value. Yeah, um, really what I started doing, though, just so to be clear, um, his sketches weren't actually digitized. They were old, old school, I guess, um, on a paper card. So that's what I originally started doing was putting them in the computer. Um, but yeah, like in Camden, we use Vision, which is all digital. So the second I add a sketch or like a new garage, if it's attached to a house or an outbuilding, that's adding value. Yeah. So how do you figure out how much value a garage adds? Well, that's from the reval probably. (laughs) Um, In the reval, that's where all of the like base prices are set, like price per square foot. Um, They're reviewed. They might not be changed. Like I'm not sure how much of our outbuildings got changed in our statistical update that we just had. Um, but that's where it would be set. Like you review the property, you see how much it's sold for, you kind of start breaking it down. Like what of the value is land, what of the value is building. And then you would compare that to, I would say Marshall and Swift, which is like the national assessment manual. And they break it down by region and then by like state and then, I want to say they do by like county or like metropolis 
after that. So that's how you would really like if you didn't have it any other way, I think that's how you would get your your price per square foot for different yeah. components. The other thing that's important is with outbuildings and garages for assessing purposes, it's not what the garage costs to build, it's how much value it adds to the property. And so my experience is that my assessments of garages and outbuildings are always, almost without question, less than what people Mm -hmm. spend on having them done. So, yeah. You know, people should, you know, you know, need to understand that if you build a, you know, $80,000 garage, it's not going to likely add $80,000 to your, to your valuation. It's the difference of the same exact house with a garage and the same exact house with, you know, with a garage and what, what the difference would be. Um, So one more process question. Um, I'm a nerd about this stuff. So I'm curious, some towns have assessors on staff, some towns contract and, some towns have a board of assessors and in some towns, the selectmen fill that role. And in some cases, it's another group of people. So what are the responsibilities of the board of assessors if they exist? And why are they sometimes the selectmen and sometimes not? Yeah, I mean, I, I can I can talk a little bit about that. Um, the, the role, I suppose, is, you know, it, whether it's a board of assessors or an assessing agent or a full-time assessor, you know, the, the role is still the same. Is that all? property must be assessed and valued at just value and taxed. I mean, that's sort of the role of, of all of it. Um, how and why some towns do it the way they do it, it's, it's generally, that's just how they've ever always done it. Um, I was just going to say to add to Mark's, I think it's probably need-based or charter-based, depending on like, honestly, what you need or like so in Camden, we're full-time, like I'm a full-time employee of Camden. I also do work for Rockport and Rockland. Um, that's kind of Rockland's new, but um, it's like a contract uh, shared assessment, but we're still full-time I'm employees. <laughs> so it's a little bit different, I think, than Mark's, um, but I think it's all need-based, really. Um, and it's, it's budget-based too, right? Yeah. Like it, it, you know, a full-time 40-hour-a-week assessor isn't necessarily needed in a town like Columbia where, you know, there's 500 people and their town budget's 250000 You know, you don't need somebody there 40 hours a week, right? It's just there's not enough mm-hmm. to do that. Um, but in Orono, Orono had a full-time assessor for a long time, 40 hours a week, every day, um, and then they weren't able to find somebody to sort of fill that role. Um, and so I came in and offered to um, sort of do the 40 hours a week work, but not necessarily be in the office every day. So I'm in Orno one day a week, um, FaceTime, office time, but I'm still working, you know, sort of a full-time uh, schedule, but I'm not there. So it's needs-based as well as what the town expects. Some towns want the assessor to be there and so they can come in and talk to them whenever they want. They know when they're there Um, or sometimes know that I'm going to be there on the first Monday of the month. That's when the assessor's there. And then, then they can line up and ask their questions, you know, that sort of thing. Um, So it's town, it's town based, I think, and also work workload based and how much work there's is to be done. So Liz, are you going to kind of ask questions about how property taxes work? (laughs) 
Sure, I can keep going. So um, Mark just mentioned the, the budget, the uh, expenses for for a town. Um, so that the t- tax base, the total valuation, that number is the town um, passes a budget and they says, say, this is the amount of money we'll need to run the town. And then they divide that by the total valuation to come up with what's called the mill rate. Total taxable valuation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) What I missed. Well, there's, you know, there's, there's, I mean, there's, you know, without getting too into the weeds about it, it's the town valuation is one component and the municipal budget is, is another. Uh, But then there's Mm -hmm. other, um, there's personal property, uh, whether mm-hmm. a town has personal property or not, that's part of the total valuation. And then it's, the thing, it, yeah, it's the thing like, um, you know, the school budget is part of mm-hmm. calculating the mill rate, um, the uh, revenue sharing that you get from the state, like Stu had mentioned that, um, and the county tax is another thing. So all of these things and the reimbursements, the homestead reimbursement amount, the personal property reimbursement amount, um, and then other revenues. Some towns have surplus or they vote to allocate uh, certain money to pay down um, what's needed to raise taxes. So once you factor all of those in, then you do the math and a mill rate comes out. So a lot of people say, well, if the town budget you know, uh, goes up, my taxes are going to go up. That's not always the case because, you know, something else could go down or, or like if the school budget goes up, but the town budget goes down or revenue sharing might go up and offset that. So there's a lot of different components to sort of um, affect a mill rate. Um, or if there's been a been significant development, right? If the tax base grows, it's, it's possible that the mill rate could go down if the expenses stay the same. Or sure. If yeah. Stays the same. yeah, absolutely. That was the case in, in Lemoyne this year is our budget went up a little bit, but our mill rate fell by three tenths of a mill. So what was that? Was that because of new um, new developments too, or was it because of something else? Uh, there was an increase in valuation just from new residential homes. Uh, we used a little more surplus to offset the uh, budget and uh, we got more state aid to education, the EPS that I mentioned earlier. And uh, just uh, that's how it worked out. So just to, to, to clarify, the mill rate is the number of dollars per thousand dollars of value that you're being assessed at. So um, and that's what makes it all um, common among all the all the property tax owners. They can compare the, um, their taxes based on the mill rate. So if no. my house is, is here and my neighbor's house, I can actually look that up and find out um, are our houses comparable. Oh, right? within the same town. Right. Within the same town. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You can, you know, the property, we use property cards. I think you do in Camden, Caitlin, you said. And Mm -hmm. I presume most of your towns down east, Mark, use a property card. Those are all public record. And uh, Mm -hmm. go look at, uh, you know, my my cape with a garage and my neighbor's cape with a garage and see that, yeah, these are valued on the same formula and uh, we're about valued the same. I'll just remind listeners, um, we get halfway through the hour, and I want to remind listeners they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. And as you've heard, we're talking about property taxes. And our guests include Stu Marcoon, um, Administrative Assistant to the um, Board of Selectmen in the town of Lemoyne, Mark Perry. Well, you're not selectmen anymore. 
They're not selectmen anymore. Well, what are they? Anymore. They are municipal officers. Oh, municipal officers. Oh. Thank you for By the state correction. Law. <laughs> By state law. Mark Perry is, is with Down East Assessing Services, providing those services to uh, six towns, I believe. And Caitlin Thompson is deputy assessor in the town of Camden. Of course, I'm joined um, by my co-host, Liz Graves. Um, Liz, do you have other, other questions you want to kind of follow up on in this arena? We were helping out on one of the vocab words from this from this topic, which is mill rate. And um, I'm an editor, so I like to point out that mill only has one L. It's not like a millstone. It's not like grinding things. And that's because it's it's mill meaning per thousand. Um, as mm-hmm. Ron's explaining, it's the amount you owe, you will owe in, in property taxes per thousand dollar valuation of your house. And just to make life super, super confusing, often when schools are doing this math, one property tax bill, but as Mark was mentioning, sometimes school budgets go through a whole different sausage making machine on their way there. And school folks often talk instead about tax per hundred thousand rather than per per thousand. It's just a different uh, way. It's all it's all the same. Uh, it all comes out that we owe what we owe, but that's sometimes yeah, in the middle. Right, you know, because I as a as a realtor, I deal with sort of. Um, property taxes from the real estate side, you know, what are my taxes and what's the mill rate? And, you know, a lot of people, the mill rate in um, like Cherryfield might be 21 and, and, but the mill rate in Bar Harbor might be 10 and they go, Mm -hmm. Oh, my taxes must be higher or whatever, but it's all relevant. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, in, 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 in Cherryfield, a hundred thousand dollar house, you know, I don't know what that would be in Bar Harbor, but you know, like it's different. So just because the mill rate is larger doesn't mean your taxes are larger. It generally means your value is lower overall mm-hmm. and they need a higher mill rate to sort of do the calculation. So the higher the value, um, the lower the mill rate, generally speaking, um, depends on your town budget and things like that. Um, you know, but in Bar Harbor has a total valuation of over 2 billion dollars in, in value, whereas a place like, you know, Columbia might have a total total value of, you know, 50 million or something. So, um, so the mill rates is, is a mathematical component. Um, when people say their taxes are too high, I usually say, well, you know, that has to do with your municipal budget. How much does it cost around the town is what really dictates the mill rate, um, not necessarily your property value. Yeah. What's the what's the calendar for all of this happening? Um, uh, town meetings vary in in uh, in the months. Some of them start um, in uh, March, and and some of them go until June. Um, what what's the calendar in some of your towns, uh, Mark, um, in, for, in terms of making this all work? Yeah, well, um, for assessing purposes, it's April first to April first for valuation. Everything's assessed as of April first. So I, as the assessor, I sort of stick to that world as what, because I'm just the, I'm just the assessor. And I, I say, I say that a lot, right? Like <laughs> I'm not the tax collector. Tax collectors say, well, I'm not the assessor. <laughs> so I get that too. But assessing purposes is April to April. Um, towns either have a fiscal year, uh, you know, from June to Ju- July to June, that's their fiscal year, or they have a calendar year. Um, in Addison, um, they have an odd, they're from February, um, is the start of their uh, fiscal year, which is a little odd. So sometimes with that's the case, you have to sort of do a prorations with the school budget because the school budget's from July to June. And if they're having a calendar year, 
then you sort of have to take the last half of last year and the first half of the new year and do a little bit of math. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the, the calendar aspect of it, I suppose. So what does it mean? You, you talked a little bit, Mark, about how it's not nearly as simple as taking the, the tax base and dividing it by the budget and getting the mill rate. There's a lot more other pieces and those, those pieces fall in at different times in the calendar too. So the sort of, yeah, the school, yeah, the school year. Yeah. I mean, the school year is always, that comes out in June. That's the, kind of when the you, estimate of the mill rate that say when the, the municipal officers, the selectmen um, say, okay, here's the budget. Uh, they will have an estimate of what the mill rate is going to be, but they won't know until after taxes are committed. What does that mean? What is the tax? Yeah. Commit? I mean, town budgets are town budgets, right? And they don't dictate, I mean, town budgets shouldn't, they're sort of mutually exclusive of the mill rate. Like I always say, mm-hmm. the town budget's the town budget. People vote on what they vote for to raise what they want to raise. You know, town budgets aren't formed in the sense of, well, you know, we think the mill rate might be lower, so we should ask for more. It's sort of, you know, budgets are budgets and, and the mill rate will be what the mill rate will be. Um, and, and again, some things go up, some things go down. And um, it, it'll it'll affect the mill rate that way, um, but it's it's um, I, I try to remain a little objective, and the numbers are the numbers, right? The budget's the budget, the school budget's the school budget. You know, revenue sharing is revenue sharing. They're all sort of just tell me what they are, and then you put them in, and, and it comes out to um, you know everything's depreciated every year, so property values as a general rule are a year older, so they go down, but then you have new construction or new development or things so that sometimes they sort of offset. So unless you have major swings in either um, like a revaluation situation or, um, you know, the, the, the valuations in towns don't swing too much, you know, from year to year um, as, a, as a whole. So they are more, the mill rate's more dependent on things like the, the municipal budget or the school budget um, that will affect or impact mill rate, um, usually a little bit more than, than property value. So um, we've, we've sent the tax bills out. Um, um, what's, what's on the tax bill? What, what information does the property tax owner have? And what's the schedule for payment? How, do, how, do, how does payment get arranged? Uh, Caitlin, can you t- tell us basically how it works in Camden? Yeah. Um, so payment is all part of town meeting. That's where it's voted on and decided when when the tax bills are due, when the interest, if there's interest, that's when they decide when that begins. And the percentage, um, I know, I think there's a variation. You can have like 4% or 7 right? I think it changed during COVID, but um, the, the you can vote on interest what it is. Caitlin is uh, 4% this year. Four percent. Okay. As set by the yeah. state treasurer's office, it's based right. on the prime interest rate on the first week of January. Yeah. Huh. Um, yeah. So that's all set at town meeting, um, and then we take that information when we're doing commitment and when we create the tax bills. I'm not sure how Mark or Stuart do it, but um, we send so we create the tax bill but then we send it out for printing we don't do any of that in-house um but on the tax bill you'll have your your home value your building value and then you'll have your land value 
And then it will show if you have an exemption of some kind, your net assessment. Um, if you've made any prepayments on your taxes, it will show that and have a net due. Um, shows your name. Maybe it'll show your book and page, your address, um, the current mill rate, the current year. And then it will give you the the different due dates. Um, I know we have to have on there kind of your taxes would have been higher without some sort of share. Revenue, I think it's revenue sharing or yeah, there are three things three things uh, required by the state of Maine to be on a tax bill. If you print one, I don't know any town that doesn't print one. Uh, that is uh, how much the uh, wonderful folks in the Maine legislature have reduced your tax bill through revenue sharing, homestead exemption, uh, road assistance, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you have to break out uh, how that tax bill is being spent between the municipal budget, the school budget, and the county budget. And the final thing that's required is if you have any uh, town debt, that has to be shown on the tax bill. Yep. And um, Liz, you want to go ahead? Go ahead. Yeah. Liz. So I um, on some folks' minds right now because I guess it's starting like either yesterday or next Monday is another one of those um, another program that affects assessors and tax collectors, and it's a new property tax stabilization program. Is anybody up to speed on it enough to tell us what the heck is, Mark? Take I it away. Just, go ahead, Mark. <laughs> yeah, there's there's two programs actually. If we're going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, Last year, the tax deferment program came out, um, and that's for um, residents that are 65 or older, um, and there are income limitations to that particular program um, if you don't make over a certain amount of money and the property is your homestead and you're 65, you can apply for a deferment um, in which um, if you qualify, you don't pay your taxes, you don't have to pay your tax bill, the state of Maine will pay them for you. Um, but they will also lien your property and charge you 4% interest um, for monies that you have not paid. Um, and then if uh, anything changes, if you pass away, if you move away, if anything changes that um, you, that's no longer your homestead, then that deferred tax bill will come due. Um, mm-hmm. So somebody, so it's, it's not pay it now, it's pay it later. Um, that's what the deferment program is. And that's income requ- uh, limited. The new... That's administered by the state, isn't it? Um, It is. Yeah. Basically, um, what we're doing is those that have qualified, and it hasn't been that many, it's it's a newer program. Um, We basically are just sending their tax bill to the state and saying, here, um, pay this bill. Um, Did you have anybody apply for it? Yeah, I've had like one or two in in my towns, uh, in the six towns I have. I think I have one or two in each town um, that's doing that. The new one that's um, all a buzz is the stabilization, um, tax stabilization, um, the LD290 program in which um, people can start applying now, I believe. There's an application that's out. It's due by um, December. Um, And what that does, it, it essentially will freeze your tax bill as whatever tax bill you're getting um, this fall now or, or between before December, you can, it's 65 and older. um, And it has to, you have to have had a homestead in Maine for the past 10 years, not necessarily on your specific home that you're living in now, but you have to prove that you've had a homestead in Maine for the past 10 years. 
be 65, but it is not income dependent. So if you have a homestead for 10 years and you're 65 in Maine, you can freeze your current tax bill. And so then next year when it comes out, your tax bill would remain the same. If ta- if your assessment hasn't changed, but if because this isn't a, it doesn't freeze your assessment, freezes your taxes. So if your assessment goes from 100,000 to 200,000 and you froze it at 100,000, you still have to pay that. But anything that's over that, that you would have been taxed for, the state has said that they will reimburse that amount. Um, That's still a little remain to be seen, but um, because this is the first year, um, but that's essentially the basics of the the program. There's some caveats that you can, if you move from one town to another, you can take your frozen tax bill with you. and it also, you have to apply for that program every year. You have to apply because if you move from, you know, Caribou to South Portland, you want to take your bill with you. That's great. But if you, you know, if you move from South Portland to Millinocket, you might not want to take that one with you. So you have to apply every year. Um, and and so that program is, um, uh, I think there's still a lot of questions about it. I think the essence of it is good. I think the intent of it is good. I think the administration of it from a tax collection and reimbursement standpoint is going to be uh, difficult. It's going to be a challenge for all towns to to figure out um, what people are paying and what the state is reimbursing from year to year. It's going to be a it's going to be a challenge. Let's uh, move on. We've got about ten minutes left in our uh, program. Um, in the um, sad case that somebody's not able to pay their property taxes, what happens? Um, Stu, what happens in Lemoyne if someone cannot pay or does not pay their property taxes? Well, you brought up two separate things. Uh, yep. If, they, yep. if they cannot pay because of poverty or infirmity, there is uh, what they call an abatement program for poverty or infirmity. Uh, the taxpayer would fill out an application. In our case, uh, we're a very small town. Uh, my select board would uh, take that up in executive session where it's private, it's confidential, and decide if they were not able to contribute to the public charge, then perhaps those would be abated. I think in the 30 years that I've been here, we've had three, uh, and it's pretty rare. In the case where they don't pay their taxes, this is where the uh, this is the tax collector and treasurer's hat that uh, is worn. The assessors, sorry, Caitlin and Mark, you got no part of that. And don't I'm want any, don't, don't that. want any part of that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the general uh, method used to collect those taxes is the lien process. I happen to know the instructor for the uh, lien class of the Tax Collectors and Treasurers Association quite well. He looks a lot like me, uh, so it's. <laughs> It's a fairly complex process. After between eight and 12 months after the uh, tax commitment has been made, if the person hasn't paid their taxes, the tax collector will send them a certified letter at uh, ever increasing cost and saying, uh, you haven't paid your taxes. Uh, you owe us this plus interest plus the uh, cost for the certified letter. And they get 30 days to do that. If they don't do that, then a lien is filed at the local registry of deeds. In my case, it's in Ellsworth. In Caitlin's case, it's in Rockland. In Mark's case, in Machias for most of his towns. Um, and then that lien stays on there. If they don't pay their lien within 18 months, 
the municipality ends up owning the property and uh, can put it up for sale or sell it back to the uh, taxpayer for all back taxes, fees, and interest. That's so, the short version. And 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 then um, <laughs> there's the at least in Bar Harbor where I live, um, there's a list of of uh, shame <laughs> that appears oh. in the in the oh, town yeah. record, right? So yeah, in addition the, uh, to all of that, um, your your name is listed as someone who has not paid their taxes. <laughs> yeah, one of the things I tell uh, my uh, students in the lean class is that the the most effective tool for uh, collecting taxes is the book. Which is also the <laughs> annual report because nobody wants their name in the book, right? Yeah. So, so property taxes are one um, uh, form of taxation um, that is generally called regressive. In other words, it doesn't matter how much you make in a given year; your property taxes there. So that's kind of a regressive. Whereas um, the income tax is so-called progressive. Um, uh, that is, that the more you make, the more you the, the more you pay. Is that a, always? Is that, is that a is there, well? That's true. Is that a problem? Um, how how do we how do we think about um, progressivity in terms of of taxes um, at the town level? Um, do people worry about that? Do they complain about that? What's what's your experience? I, I get very few complaints about the property taxes. Uh, people know they're coming. Uh, and they went down this year in the loin. So <laughs> the, the, they've been flogged. That's, I've had to go in and out of our, our recording here to collect taxes. Uh, so, but uh, the, the regressivity of uh, the property tax has not been a, a big complaint. Um, the problem that I see sometimes is inherited property. So let's say it's been in the family for hundreds of, of years. And it's a piece of shorefront. There's nothing on it, but you know what uh, they got during the Revolutionary War from the king uh, is now worth a couple hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And uh, you know, to hang on to that, it may not be so easy to do. Mm. Um, and that's you know maybe where poverty or infirmity can come in. Uh, we don't have a lot of that, but uh, we do find that a, a lot of folks who end up with a tax lien are among the lower income you know, bracket. And what about when someone disputes their uh, property tax? Um, what's the process? Uh, Mark, do you want to take that? Um, yeah, that's the abatement process. Um, people, you get your tax bill and it has your current valuation. And uh, you have statutorily, you have 185 days, six months to apply for an abatement of your assessment to the assessor, meaning that you don't agree with the assessor's valuation. Um, that process um, is important to talk about. Um, and most people don't want to hear this, but statutorily, the assessor doesn't necessarily have to prove that the assessment is correct. The property owner has to prove that it is incorrect. Um, and so the burden is on the property owner. You can't just say, I think my value is high and mm -hmm. get your property abated. Um, you can't just say, I think it's worth 100000 when it's assessed for 200000 you, you have to prove it. You have to sort of show through analysis or through comparables. And it's also not about, well, my neighbor's property is you know lower than mine, so mine should be the same as my neighbor's. Because sometimes it's just that the neighbor's is too low. It's not that yours is too high, it's that the neighbor's is too low. So anyway, they apply um, they have to provide information. And if there is something wrong, I always have a saying, if it's wrong, I'll fix it. I have no, 
no problem with that. Um, but if it's right, um, or it's or it's consistently right with everything else, then you sort of have to um, support that and explain that to people that um, it's not necessarily because a lot of people say my taxes are high, right? But their assessment didn't change, or their assessment is 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 what it is. Um, so that's sort of the abatement process. It's it's sort of you can apply to the assessor. Have I always encourage people to talk to the assessor um, before applying for an abatement because my response to an abatement is a formal application requires a formal response, and so you know you have to sort of. Um, present the response in a formal way in the event that it were to be appealed, which they can appeal that decision. Um, so a formal application gets a formal response versus just talking to the assessor and going, hey, what do you think? I think this is high or let's start with the information. Is the acreage right? Is the square footage right? Is the age right? You know, maybe there's just something wrong with, you know, the, the uh, information. So let's start there and let's make sure that's okay. Um, and then you kind of take it from there. Um, so in most cases, you know, um, I tell people I'm not on the profit sharing plan, right? I'm not, I don't get paid more to assess things higher. And um, um, so if it's wrong, um, I fix it. Um, do do um, your towns um, do anything special to help uh, um, property owners understand the property tax? Um, they get the bill, um, obviously, and, and that has information on it. Um, if they go to town meeting, they might understand little bits. But do you do anything extra um, that helps people understand how property taxes work? Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think they do anything sort of extra, extra. I think they should just encourage the property owners to talk to the town assessor um, is what they should do. Um, uh, and make an appointment if you need to, or just, I mean, if anybody asks me, how, how does this work? You know, I'll be happy to explain how it works. And, and a lot of people go, oh, I didn't really understand that yeah. about assessing, you know, or, or the, the grander picture or all of the things that we sort of have to take into consideration. You know, we can't just lower one assessment in a whole neighborhood. You know, I can't just lower yours. I have to, I'd have to look at the whole neighborhood, um, things like that. So that those things are important. Just talk, just talk to your assessor about it. Stu, anything um, that you do above and beyond um, to help people understand property taxes? It, it would be a one-on-one -on -one thing. Uh, if somebody comes in and questions what their assessment is, we'll bring out their property card. And uh, we have a book. Last time we had our full revaluation was in 1993. Uh, guess what's happening in next week? <laughs> so I suspect we're going to have a lot of questions. Uh, Caitlin, you want to come move to Lemoyne for a year? <laughs> Mark already lives here. So. <laughs> but uh, no, we'll go over their property card and, and what the formulas are that are applied to their property value and show that hopefully we've assessed this under the same formula as everybody else. Occasionally we yeah. mess up and if we did, we'll own it and abatement will be due and you would see that, but it's pretty rare. Liz, the last question goes to you, your, your favorite question. It is my favorite. So what do each of you wish more people understood about your work? And Briefly, please. Briefly, yeah. please. All right. Caitlin first. Oh, um, just I re we really don't have a lot of control over it's what happens. We receive the numbers and we put them where they're supposed to go. And there is some subjectivity, but there's really not. 
and and we do at least in Camden we do try to and Rockport and Rockland we do try to help businesses as well we didn't talk about that but personal property exemptions and reimbursements we do that for people yeah okay great yeah. yeah I would say you know assessors don't set the market the market rates the market rate and what I would tell people is that and I ask this to people all the time is that if you could if you had to sell your property tomorrow what is it worth and if your assessment is less than that number your assessment is okay mm-hmm. that's fair Stu word of wisdom word of wisdom um, 99.999% of uh, municipal employees are doing the best to be fair to yeah. you. Uh, it's, it's nothing personal. It's what we do. And, and I think 99.99% of our, our taxpayers realize that. Right. Well, we've come to the end of the hour. Be sure and join us from four to five on the second Wednesday of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at WERU.org. Stay, please tune in for our companion program, Coastal Conversations with Natalie Springle of University of Maine Sea Grant from four to five on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balnane House Highland music recording. Thanks to again to our guests this morning, uh, this afternoon rather. Um, Caitlin Thompson is the deputy assessor in the town of Camden. Mark Perry um, is Down East Assessing Services, including Orono and a number of other towns. And Stu Marcoon with the town of Lemoyne. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown and Joel Mann for engineering our program. Stay tuned for Ralph Nader Radio from 5 to 6 and Jazz Straight Ahead with Laurie Stahlberg from 6 to 8. Liz Graves and I are producers and hosts for Talk of the Towns, and this is Ron Beard wishing you a good afternoon.